Hi, friend. Welcome back. This episode marks my first in-studio guest. Having someone sitting across from me in the same room kind of threw me for a loop a couple of times as I was becoming so used to seeing people on screen. I first saw Lester at the graduate orientation for the university we both attend. Lester is finishing up their Masters of Fine Arts in writing this spring, and I'm very excited for the world to experience more of them. We met a few months after that orientation at Gladys the Nosy Neighbor, which is this kitsch gay bar in Denver. Lester just published a fabulous, thought-provoking, artistic manifesto called The Spring of Gay Black Feminine Joy, which I enjoyed reading very much. I was so grateful to get a chance to work on a little video project with Lester before they leave Denver to take over the world. Here is my conversation with Lester. Well, hello. Well, this is new because you're actually physically in this space with me, which feels fantastic. I feel like hope is on the horizon. <laughs> yes. Am I your first guest in a studio? Yeah. Oh. What an icon. Yeah. Iconic status. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for for coming to the studio. Yes. So I well, I will start off with asking you every what I ask everyone else is how is your pandemic? Um, my pandemic has been everything and then some, meaning it has been emotionally challenging, physically challenging, artistically challenging. Um but I feel like um, I'm on top, on top of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have clarity that I didn't have before, uh, mostly because I was forced to be by myself this entire time and live alone. So, right. Yeah. Right. And when you say you have clarity like you haven't had before, mm-hmm. um, is it related to something specific or just something you've sort of learned about yourself? I would say it's more so related to the fact that I'm allowing myself finally and officially to be a real human being um, in the sense of I don't have to show up the way people think I should show up. I'm going to show up how I'm feeling that day and what I feel in that moment. And when I say um, I have clarity, it also means I'm I'm free enough to meet myself wherever I am without any judgment in that Mm -hmm. moment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really well. What you said about um, showing up, however you show up, and mm-hmm. not really showing up according to what, what you think others may need from you, right? Um, that resonates for me because I have been learning how to say no a lot more, mm. and that no isn't necessarily my saying no to a request from someone else, but also all of the shit I'm doing myself because I love to pile it on. Mm. Let's do some right. more. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I'm learning how to kind of um, edit a little bit and not try to do a million things. Right. Um, and then also if I start something and it's not going well, I can leave it. I mean, yeah. it's not Yeah, I'm not I'm not married to it. I've I haven't signed a contract with myself, you know. Yeah. And the other thing is as well, you can say, um, 
yes to yourself. You know, I felt like we've always said yes to other people, not ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm on the same same wave as you. Uh, I'm saying no to so many things, but yes to me. For any any little thing that brings me joy, I'm going to say yes to it. Mm. Yeah. So. I So I read your book uh, that just came out. Uh, yeah. Yes. I'm going the spring of black feminine joy. A, a spring of gay black feminine joy. A spring. Oh, well, how did I forget the gay? Yes. <laughs> my my homosexual card is going to get revoked. <laughs> spring of gay black feminine joy. Oh, yes. It really resonated with me. Um, just a lot of, of around the idea of femininity and then also the idea around this like uh, pull towards masculine aspects as they show up in other people, mm -hmm. like being attracted to to masculinity, um, but yet that masculinity is really set up in such a way to destroy the feminine in boys. Yes, um, and I very much. I have been a uh, been attracted to those qualities and that butchness and mm -hmm. that and those the the straight dude who may possibly um turn homosexual for you. <laughs> I mean, like, what the <laughs> fuck is it? I think what attracts us to masculinity is is a myriad of things, but and I can't label or pinpoint one specific thing down um, because we come into the world and we're thrown into environments where masculinity is held as the top notch thing it is held as a carrot that's dangled over our head um we see it within our parents and our loved ones and all of that stuff and we know why because it's just it's a force however what we don't really see is femininity and that's a force too and when we don't see femininity being respected um as the center of both life and love then we lose out on tenderness and we lose out on love and we become immune to the toxic traits of masculinity and we want it desperately. And then we grow up and we start to chase behind it and run behind it. And we think it's an accomplishment to be with someone who is so masculine and can tell us what to do and how to do it and when to do it. And we want safety. We have confused the two, uh, both masculinity and femininity, one is weakness, which is femininity, and then masculinity is safety. And we have confused the two. And there's not enough space, it seems, in my experience, where the two can exist completely um, from what I've saw from other people. And so I really wanted to just, in, in, in writing the book, I wanted to push against that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you define toxic masculinity? Um, one, I don't, I define toxic as something that is just not healthy, not healthy, but it is what it is. It's like, to me, uh, it's like eating something really greasy that you shouldn't be eating, but you need it because you are accustomed to it. Um, in other words, toxic for me is not something that's horrible. I don't want it. Get it away from me. It will kill me. It's not that drastic for me. It's it's just more so it's, it's an analysis of something that's just not healthy for you, like a proclivity, but you choose to indulge. So toxic masculinity, um, I would I would define it as something that we were taught. Mm -hmm. Something we were taught. 
it. And it comes up in various things, um, not necessarily just relationships with people, but in, in, in how we see the world. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Yeah. I'm always curious about how we get there as a society, especially when now I'm going to talk out of my ass because I am not a biblical scholar by any means, uh-huh. but there are so many strong female figures yes. in Christianity. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, how do how do we swing since Christianity reverberates so much within Western society? It's like, right. how do you how do you swing to this dynamic where you get to a point um how masculinity shows up in the society society in such a toxic way that it needs to squelch mm-hmm. squelch femininity mm-hmm. um entirely mm-hmm. and and make it something of weakness now when mm-hmm. i look towards these stories of female characters within our great texts right these are some pretty strong fucking women mm-hmm. i mean i just yeah it doesn't it doesn't line up for me but maybe i'm just making an overarching assumption that um these masculine men are in christian households that might not be the truth i just assume that a christianity is such a big force within our society that yeah it's gotta it's gotta show up somewhere within the within these masculine constructs Mm -hmm. or in the households that raise these masculine boys you know yeah um Here's the other thing. The other thing. Um, I'm 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 not by any means a Christian. Um, I was raised Baptist. What I will say is that Jesus is King, in, in no matter what. And and when I say Jesus is King, I'm coming from the reference of what I heard growing up. No matter how many uh, powerful feminine characters there are within Christianity, it will, they will be overlooked because, quote-unquote, Jesus is king. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing within the real world. Um, that one masculine energy in the room becomes king, and the rest of the femininity is overlooked because that's what we were, you know, taught to hell um, as, hail it as, you know, the, the end-all, be-all. Um, but for me, I'm not asking for masculinity to be untoxic. It can do whatever it wants. And in fact, it will do whatever it wants. Um, I'm asking for it to move the fuck to the side and make mm-hmm. room for everybody else and everything else to exist. Um, because you can't be powerful if you if if you're the only voice speaking, you know, or the only voice or the only thing that can silence other voices or allow other voices to talk, that's weakness. That's the ability to control the environment and not necessarily deal with the things that needs to be dealt with because you're afraid of, I don't know, um, an uprising and finding out that masculinity is not all that is cut out to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking about, you know, I I can't pinpoint one. Like one isn't coming to mind, but I yeah. remember like these 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 queer movies that were coming out of like the 70s, 80s, maybe even before that, mm-hmm. where it's like there was such a strong at- attraction to the person in the closet to what <laughs> seems unattainable, like these uh, queer boys wanted that you know, boxer or uh-huh. soldier or 
or something that seems very unattainable to them that yeah. like they've put their desire on on this closet on this closet stereotype mm-hmm. i've done it <laughs> i write about it in my book as you know yeah 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 i gave it up and 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 told the secret um about dating um someone who's undercover and a prominent figure in um the community that i'm from which is new york city mm-hmm. um yeah, I I think that directly comes from seeing this type of love and the only type of love and thinking that is the way in order for you to be to fit into the equation of love, you have to somehow recreate what you saw. And what I saw was uh, I'm feminine and I saw this masculine guy who um, just was beautiful and looked at me and saw me, but saw me as a secret. And that was enough. That was enough for me to continue on with him mm-hmm. and do whatever uh, he needed to do to keep his secret safe, which really I was keeping my secret safe, um, which was my love for him. And I, it, it does it never ends good mm-hmm. ever because it's founded on uh, secrecy and shame about who you are, how you show up and how the how he wants you to show up and how he tells you you have to show up as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But isn't there also something so desirous about it because it the secret aspect of it like really kind of plays on our own hidden aspects. Yes. You know, it really it really kind of does start does start having sex with those shadowy aspects uh-huh. of ourselves that kind of seems enticing. It's like it's like that forbidden sort of like desire and oh, yes. love and yeah. Yeah. I actually I I was well this is my first sexual relationship, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was quite young. Um I was maybe 13 and he was also 13 and lived three houses down from me. So just at the just at the end of the road um and I believe it just moved into that house. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had continued this, you know, sneaking around, um, calling up on the phone, are your parents home? Mm. Um, sometimes, you know, having relations like in the, we were surrounded by woods, Mm -hmm. having relations like way back in the woods, like on the ground, just like lots of sneaking around. And then eventually... Um, so this carried on through high school okay. and then it eventually petered out. I want to say like junior year. Once we got, once, once I got a car, I was like, bitch, I'm out of here. Right. I'm going into Philadelphia <laughs> where the real faggots are. Yes, yes, yes. Like, fuck this. Yes. So, <laughs> but he became the high school quarterback. Okay. And, and I remember it getting to a point where, because he was hanging, I was very much the, I was bullied. I was the queer, uh-huh. um, and I was under that attack uh-huh. in high school. Mm. Um, and very much when I would run into him and that group of football players, mm-hmm. he immediately became one of that mass and then started like acting towards me as they would act towards me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, 
there were very few of them that ever did that privately with me or when no one else was around. It was just that right. mob mentality of it together, like protecting that that masculine bubble that they need to sort of construct for themselves to feel safe. Right. You know? Okay. But it but it very much turned into that like, you know, fucking the enemy. <laughs> I guess, Literally. In a way, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and just wanted to say something about what you just said about the mob mentality, because we run into it so much when dealing with masculinity specifically and and femininity. Uh it, mobs are made up of individuals and individual mindsets. And it's to the point where we're trying to hold the whole, you know, mob accountable and, and instead of the individuals as well or just as much as we are with the mob. Um, because we can have this conversation about masculinity or femininity and then go outside and someone can pick you up when I say pick you up I mean like dating wise mm -hmm. and then you think they're this one way and then it comes time to meet their family and they're like well I'm not out the closet and so you find yourself back yeah. in that space again and and dealing with the individual and the mom mentality as a whole mm -hmm. yeah I know I'm a little bit older than you I probably want to mm -hmm. say a lot but I remember <laughs> you know be like I said when the, the second I got a fucking car mm -hmm. at 16 I was like I am out of here and I'm going to go really kind of throw myself into ex the exploratory mode. Yes. And I went to my first gay bar, which was Woody's in Philadelphia, okay. when I was 16. I got a fake ID. Uh -huh. I was back when like fake IDs were acceptable and someone just used to draw your face on a piece of paper and laminate it. Uh -huh. <laughs> it would uh -huh. get you into a bar. And then it was like the, the doors had opened now. Yes. And it was I it was time to enter this new world. But I very this was back in well, it would have been in nineteen ninety-three, uh -huh. ninety-four. Okay. When I'd started going out in Philadelphia. So I had friends that I would that I would know from meeting them out or know them in the bars that were very much once they left the bar, mm -hmm. they went back into their closet mm. they they their daily life where they went to work sometimes mm -hmm. their families mm -hmm. very much were not a part of that aspect of them yeah um yeah mm -hmm. yeah um yeah similar similar experience i the first time i went to a bar i was 16 it was stonewall um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, my friends would go in. They didn't even ID us. We just all looked older. Yeah. And um, I had my first like public sexual encounter there. Actually, oh. um, shout out to Stonewall. Love <laughs> you much. Still the same. Um, yeah, and it was with a guy who left and uh, left the bar and turned regular, quote unquote. You know, mm -hmm. and then we bear the cross. We bear the cross of. When we leave those environments, they get to hide and blend in, but we still have to deal with the repercussions, mm -hmm. you know, of just being ourselves. And what that means is that the safe space that was for us is now being infiltrated by someone who can have it both ways, mm -hmm. who can go and, and claim the mob mentality in public and then come in at night and to enjoy a drink and all of a sudden is an individual. That's what I mean when I say we have to hold them accountable both for the mob and the individual, you know, accountability because 
during the day, they can, someone can call me a faggot and they can laugh and joke right with them, you know, or harass mm-hmm. me and then come to the bar at night and kiss up on your neck or whatever. And they know what they're doing because they come in smelling like that good thing and they look good and they know what gets you and they just do you in when you don't expect it. Um, mm-hmm. But it it takes a lot of undoing, you mm-hmm. know? I was trying to think about like this, this sort of aspect of shame that works itself through like homosexual desire. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that you also mentioned earlier. Yes. Um, it's like not being able to fully enjoy all of those aspects of yourself because we um, live in a society that has been given a binary quite quite recently, actually, mm-hmm. and it has colored, um, you know, all those great aspects that exist within each of us, which are both masculine and feminine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the yin and yang duality um, that can become a spectrum too. It doesn't right. exist 50 and 50. It isn't a half and half process. Right. Um, but because shame comes in and and still that shame gets passed down. Like I I've I've chatted with friends about how that shame still shows up within within my thinking and behavior. And it's sometimes it comes out when I don't even expect it. Now, I am very out and proud yeah. and <laughs> make, I don't hide anything anymore. No. These days, yes. I don't feel like, mm-hmm. especially with this fucking podcast. I mean, like I've been, I'm not even just talking about like um, sexuality. I've been, been hiding other things in yeah, this yeah, podcast yeah. too. Uh-huh. But like, uh, it's so funny how, you know, those transgenerational shadowy aspects of gay shame kind of pop up every once in a while when I'm in a public space and um, someone goes to hold my hand or kiss me in front of other people. And I just that little, I feel that little tinge Mm -hmm. of like static electricity, like welling up the back of my neck where I'm like, oh, that's some ancient shit back from my childhood. Yes. And and it's still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's knowing that you have a right for, to, to be loved, whatever mm-hmm. that means, and to show affection. And the the other part of it is is like you said, it's from childhood. Um, I'm very clear, you know, specifically for me. Uh, just dealing with deep homophobia uh, in Brooklyn because I grew up in Brooklyn before it was trendy in the sense of all queer people were moving to Brooklyn and it was what right. it is now. Um, it, it It is that shame that you speak of when you are dating someone publicly, holding your hand and stuff like that. But I've gotten into many physical fights because I'm not hiding my love. My mm-hmm. lover is not staying home at the barbecue because everyone is uncomfortable. Well, bitch, you're just going to have to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. because it is what it is. And... Um, it wasn't until recently, I think this past two years, where I'm like, I will be celebrating my love out loud. 
you know, and mm-hmm. I think it's very easy to allow the world to compartmentalize you into this space where they can take you as an artist. They can take femininity in art, but they can't take femininity living next door to them or being in the restaurant with them mm-hmm. or showing affection uh, in the clothing store. And I'm no longer playing that game. I'm not interested in doing that anymore. Yeah. It's like um, they're okay with the performance. Yes. It's like those people that are okay with drag queens, but not okay with trans people. Yes. Yes. yes, Because you can compartmentalize it into into those things. Well, it's a performance. Exactly. There's something untruthful about it. Right. And and in doing that, we're not humanized. Mm -hmm. We're treated like an accessory. Like we don't... Like our love isn't uh, uh, grand enough to to matter, mm-hmm. and that's just not it's not true. Who were your role models growing up when Ooh. you were like young, young, young Lester? Um, <clears throat> well, my first role model has to be as far back as I can remember. Um, with Angela Bassett. Okay. <laughs> love got to do it. And, okay. <laughs> yes. I was going to ask you which Angela Bassett, but then you said, what's, what's love got to got do it. with it? I couldn't afford acting classes at the time, even though I did end up getting a degree in drama school. Um, but I would stare at the television and just watch what's love got to do with it over and over mm-hmm. and over again because she was so fierce. Masterclass. Oh, really. masterclass. She's a gag. Um <laughs> But I, I, when it comes to inspirations, I really, growing up, I took the time to look around me. And so um, family members, uh, just people in the street, neighbors, I really like looking at um, how my cousins wore their Tommy Hilfiger mini dresses that was a thing at the time or Mm -hmm. how they carry their purses and how my aunts always smelled like um, that God awful, this is no shade, but that God awful red door. Uh, perfume. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And um, I enjoyed how people carried themselves. But then there were like Little Kim, Missy Elliott, anybody who pushed the envelope, Beyonce, Janet, uh, Madonna, Tina Turner, mm-hmm. of course, Mary J. Blige. If you push the envelope and you told the story, I was going to be obsessed with you. Mm-hmm. To this day, that's how I view art. That Those are my favorite folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I think Madonna was the first concert that I ever went to and it mm. would have been um shit it would have been around the time that truth came out mm. and I can't remember the name of the concert I don't remember it was one before was it blonde ambition it could have been blonde ambition or maybe it was run one before that. Maybe it was who's that girl? I don't remember, but but it was very much that the truth movie. Mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. was my sort of introduction to Madonna. And then like that androgynous sort of sexuality that her dancers kind of had. There was there was there was femininity there. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. There was a, there's just the, the sinewy ways that they move their bodies that I just, just like, ooh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the nightclub, but in the daytime and in performance. Yeah. That freedom. Yeah. And that, and that there were, there were gentlemen who weren't walking around like they were trying to birth a bull. Right. 
<laughs> yeah like with their with their arms like splayed out at the side like they were carrying like cantaloupes in their armpits exactly like why are you puffing up mary yeah like <laughs> relax baby yeah 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 i always thought of like the movie a christmas story have you seen the movie a christmas story no i haven't well there's this um scene with it's not ralphie but it's ralphie's little brother um and he and the mother dresses him up to the nines for like to go out in the winter in the snow mm-hmm. and it's like a full like winter um padded jumpsuit and he, once he gets into it he can't put his arms down because of all of the like padding in uh-huh, it and uh-huh. i always think of like that's how like these like mask mask for mask dudes are walking around <laughs> with their arms like popped out i can't put my arms down yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. like they have something to prove yeah, just yeah. taking up space. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, gosh. It's like one of my biggest pet peeves uh-huh. for people that have no spatial awareness. Uh, Colorado. I think everyone in Colorado does not have that. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Here I notice it a little bit less mm-hmm. because it's more spacious here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel we're as sort of packed in mm-hmm. as other places I've lived, like New York. And- yeah. Yeah. When you're when you're on that subway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. For me, it was, you know, growing up in New York, I just became so aware of it, you know, like not mm-hmm. to take up too much space uh, because we were all I, I, the secret of, of being a New Yorker is just knowing how to slide in and out and through things and people. <laughs> so I kind of like I kind of just always been aware of it. Mm-hmm. And I got here, and I just felt like because there's more space when the, when we are in little spaces, there is no awareness that we're in a little space. It's just like mm-hmm. people continue to operate like we're on the mountaintop when we're in tops, shopping for food at three p.m. on a Friday before a storm. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have run into many a person in Colorado and I'm like how did you live before like how are you how are you in the world I just don't understand are you okay yeah and I I, I feel bad about myself like I do judge people like that mm-hmm. um but I yeah especially I see I tell you like I complain all the time I'm like I always make the judgment that people in Denver cannot drive no I can't I've never lived in a place where people go under the speed limit in the passing lane (laughs) or just ride like in the passing lane without passing like people are in the non-passing lane passing the people People, yes in the passing lane yeah oh and the horrific slow turns Oh, oh yeah, you oh oh work at it, baby. Just like you're you're working at it, you're doing it. Yeah, <laughs> just accelerate a little bit. Thank I you. know, but is that because we are we are eastern east eastern city folk? Like I grew up in Philadelphia, it was my city, but I've also yes. lived in New York City, right? And there's just shout out to Philly. Yeah, I mean, it's just maybe it's just a different east eastern urban folks just. Mm-hmm. i think that is it though <laughs> yeah because if we were to grab someone from dc i'm sure the three of us would all drive the same yeah, yeah. well i lived in dc too yeah and i always noticed 
who had the Maryland plates uh-huh. <laughs> when they were driving around DC because they went at a different pace than everyone else. Yeah, I yeah. know. I also fully admit that I'm a completely impatient person, and I'm Me too. always working to to, yeah. to to that. But yeah, so you're so you're leaving here and you're heading up to Minnesota. I am. I am. And I want I you to tell me that announcement. Yeah. Well, you were telling me a little bit about it before we hopped on here. But yeah. I want you to tell me it again because I, I, what, what you were saying was so fantastic. I want everyone to know. Are are you able to talk about it? I'm not able to talk about the logistics, but I can talk about the play. Cool. Yeah, I can do that much because I created it. Oh, cool. Um. So I, I'm. We'll have an op- Well. An opportunity has been presented for me um, to develop a play I've been writing um, called Swallow from Both Ends. It is a sex play. It's about six individuals. Um, It's non-gender specific. I use gender neutralizing language when it comes to the body. Nobody has a name. Um, And it's about six round bodies who um, they find pleasure in the sexual trauma they once experienced and through that pleasure they find healing and Mm -hmm. so it's bedroom language turned inside out and i am really um having honest conversations about sex both historically and currently and the entire play is done in the nude Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now when you say that they find pleasure yes out of traumatic experience yes. what do you mean by that i mean um one of the characters enjoys being choked but the first time okay. they were choked during sex was during a assault mm-hmm. or they like their tongue uh, or their lips um you know chopped down on while they're making out with someone but the first time that happened was when they were forced to do something they didn't want to do mm-hmm. and so i opened the play by asking the question um, before the actors get undressed, if you found out that I went through all of this and now find pleasure in it, would you still love me? And I'm really, I'm really, I had to ask myself that question, but I had to ask, um, I want people to ask themselves that mm-hmm. about their partner, because I think um, when we get in relationships, we like to forget the trauma. And then it shows up and then we don't know how to talk to our partners about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But also there's a shame behind saying I was once assaulted, but now I, you know, I found power in in my healing in that, you know, we don't even Mm -hmm. like to talk about what has happened. And um, this play is an honest attempt to just address it. That's all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it makes me think a little bit how um, BDSM can be quite healing for people who have experienced certain trauma. Yes. Um, when in a container that feels safe and consensual. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a sort of way of, I guess, flipping the script in a way. Yes. Um, but I'm but you, so what I hear you saying is um the question is one person who's experiencing the pleasure mm-hmm. um, is saying to someone else, "Well, if you knew that originally where this pleasure came yes. from was at a place was a place of violence or a place of trauma, mm-hmm. and now I'm experiencing it in a different way that feels empowering." Yeah. But if you knew about that history, right? Would you look at me the same way? Is that what you mean? That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. And. And um, I'm, I'm going to tell my tease on this show because it's your show. I'm going to give 
He's something juicy. I actually joined the BDSM community while writing this. Um, and I was transparent with all participants in each session that I've done. Um, I've done things like nude wrestling. I can't believe I'm telling my teeth. I mean, please. I've done erotic wrestling. And I've done um, doming sessions. And I've done mm -hmm. submissive, submissive sessions, which I don't enjoy. Being um, submissive, being submissive, or, and then okay. dominating in, in a dominating right, sessions. Okay. Just really trying to um, put my body through these pleasurable, pleasurable and painful experiences uh. on my control um, and, and and my power. So I've I've joined and I've done th those things uh. Uh, because I didn't want to write from a distance. Yeah. Well, I guess if you're if you're experiencing both sides of roles like dom mm -hmm. and sub, yes, you'll really learn what you you like and what you don't like. I have learned it. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like I've tried. I've tried different aspects too. In partner situations, uh -huh. um, and I definitely. I learned what I what I liked and what I didn't like. Yeah. But I also sort of learned what I can do mm -hmm. and also what I can't do. Mm -hmm. Like what what I'm okay with performing and then also I'm like I really suck trying to act my way through this. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> like role play. Yeah. yeah. Like I I full disclosure. Yes. Playing playing the dom position for me it's questionable at best. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, yeah, I'm just not the Meryl Streep that I need to be when it comes to like being able to fully play that yeah. role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe, and but maybe it's it's also this. Maybe yeah. it's because my frame of reference of what I think a dom should be, uh -huh. which may be like the hey boy, you right. know, the the sort of Tom of Finland. Yes. Um, leather chaps, uh -huh. like leather, Which I have. leather. Okay, uh -huh. maybe it's because my frame of reference is also something that I don't see myself as. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that because I put on those leather chaps, but I also put on heels. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, still dominant, still powerful. The voice is still light as jazz music. Yeah, everything. But I can Viola Davis it. I can Angela Bassett it. I can Denzel Washington <laughs> and change those characters. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think Angela Bassett is a dom top. Oh, of course. <laughs> Shout out to Angela. Shout out How to Angela. Angela. Yeah. Angela, if you're listening, <laughs> we love you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. What has Angela done lately? 911. That's right. I've and never seen that show. Such a good show. But she also has a movie coming out, her first action movie. It's about three women mm. who are middle-aged and they are some sort of, I don't know, but all I know is that they have guns and they kick ass. That's all I know. It's it's not the it's not the superhero movie with um with um Octavia? Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. no. It's a separate okay. movie, yeah. Right. Yeah. I think I've seen a trailer for this movie. Mm -hmm. But I also could be confusing it with that movie about um, the women with Viola Davis who like flipped the script and then became involved with like widows. taking back widows. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was such a good movie. I may be confusing it with that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the, a trailer dropped for this one. They just have pictures of her. Up. Um, yeah, and this fly-ass blue that outfit she has on, and she's holding a gun. But, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, uh, yeah. Angela. I wonder if Angela's in the new American Horror Story that they're currently filming. If anybody has common sense, she will be. Hopefully. No True. shade, Ryan Murphy. Yeah. But we need more Angela Bassett. Right. Yeah. I'll bet, like, I'm I'm honestly thinking that, like, probably my friends that live there year-round are in it. Yeah. <laughs> as yeah. extras or something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, you can't, you can't throw a pebble without hitting 50 ferries in Provincetown. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but that's how it is in um, New York with, like, law and order. Everyone right, is in law right. and order. Oh. Gosh. I wasn't on a Law and Order. I was an extra in Sex and the City. Oh, my. And I was also on a new sitcom that never got picked up. Oh. And it was um, Bronson Pinchot and Caroline Ray. Okay. And the premise behind it was that they were two straight people who inherited this gay bar from their <laughs> from their uncle who had passed. Mm. It was called Straight No Chaser. Ter- okay. ter- terrible, terrible. Okay. <laughs> and I was um, a, a very mouthy um, barback. Oh, okay. A very yeah, like gay, mouthy. <laughs> very barback. gay. Yeah. <laughs> television style oh day. but then here's the here's the tea too uh-huh. so we you could smoke in the bar okay now we filmed it in the beauty bar have you ever been in that space no where's like, this in new york yeah it's in new york it's down in i want to say around like chelsea Chelsea, it's around like that 14th street corridor i don't remember exactly where it is okay but it's like you walk in and it's one of those long sort of like thinner corridor type bars that eventually you come out the back and it goes into like another area. Okay. But we were obviously shooting in there for like eight hour, eight, 10 hour days and everybody was smoking the entire fucking time. Uh. And they bought everyone Marlboro Reds. Oh. Um. <laughs> And it, remember at one point it got so bad in there that they had to be like, everybody out. Yeah. And they got these industrial sized fans to just blow the smoke both out the front and the back because oh, we are everyone's eyes were bloodshot. Mm. Completely red. We were all hacking up a storm. Just like <laughs> how long was the shoot? I did it for, um, we only filmed the pilot. So I was there for like a week or, and then maybe a little bit of a second week. Oh. But I definitely filmed for like, I think it were like four, four or five days. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it was bad. I also remember, like, I was young. I didn't know a fucking idea what I was doing. And I was the theater kid to, like, try to, like, <laughs> get me, like, to, like, be still on yeah. a set as you're asking for it. So, yeah, yeah. I remember at one point, like, I just, like, couldn't get the timing for this thing. And Bronson was standing behind me and he would slap me when I needed to do something. He would just, like, hit me on, like, on the back. He's like, no, you have to touch. Oh, I think it was just, like, one gesture where I just had to take my hand and run it down the shirtless bartender's, like, physique or something. And I just couldn't get the timing right. So he would just stand behind me and, like, 
like nudge me to like when I was supposed to do it. Oh, <laughs> shout out to theater. Shout out to theater. Yes. Yeah. 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 T- I'm, I didn't. I didn't have the jurisprudence for TV and film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make my way there. Theater first, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not that I wouldn't do it. I actually, I, you know, well, you're a theater person, too. I am. And you're a live performance person. And I've yes. seen video of you dancing and in live performance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I miss it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I miss live performance. Yeah. Yeah. I miss, specifically, I miss theater. Yeah. I miss making theater. I miss acting more so than I ever missed performance that came more out of a um, art world, performance art, mm-hmm. live art. Yeah. I miss a storytelling theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, for me, it feels like one big-ass rehearsal. Like the show date is coming and coming and yeah. coming. And it's just, that's why I've been trying. I haven't been trying. I've been writing up so much for theater and, and collaborating with a lot of virtue theater groups, yeah. giving them that, my writing uh, free of charge to just experiment and keep the craft going. Might as well incubate it now. Exactly. Because it um, takes time. Yeah, but it also, that's the thing. It takes time. Yes. It also takes time. And I remember how much time it takes because I, you know, I started a theater company with a bunch of folks in mm-hmm. DC and that was like, became our lives really. I mean, yeah. it was such an investment. We were really going at it hard. Yeah. You know, yeah. and our, and our work paid off. Good. Um, but it was a lot of time. Yeah. And I remember organizing people in such a way. It's difficult. Yeah, yeah. I, I listen. I went. I went to SUNY New Paltz School of Fine and Performing Arts, oh, yeah, and yeah, that's right. we used to be in rehearsal. We used to have ten out of twelve, ten hours out of twelve. Mm-hmm. We're, mind you, we're college students. Still have homework. Some of us still have jobs and yeah, and whatnot mm-hmm. to do on the side. And it's people don't understand. They think we're playing around when when you tell someone you went to school for theater or whatever. Mm-hmm. They have no idea the love that goes into these crafts. However, then a pandemic will hit mm-hmm. and then they'll sit on a couch and watch the very thing that they told us was a waste of time. It keeps them alive. So mm-hmm. shout out to theater and all the theater makers and the comebacks yeah. and all that stuff. I mean, theater folks know how to fucking get something done. Yes, we do. I mean, there's no. <laughs> oh, yes. We're. Yeah, it's the at least the same thing. Like I was a theater major in undergrad and mm-hmm. um you know, my one, my acting professor instilled something in me that to this day has not, has shaped my in, entire world of how mm-hmm. I think about like timeliness and lateness. But I came late to a class and oh, gosh. I experienced <laughs> what was the wrath of fire. Uh-huh. I mean, like I, in front of the rest of the class, mm-hmm. really. And I will never get that out of my body experience. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always in there and it's yeah. always when I've run late for things, I've always had that replay in the back of my brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Even when I have my shows and I go on tour with my band or just with myself and people mm-hmm. are like, oh, um, I they come late to the show, especially in New York. 
mm-hmm. they come late to the shows and they're like, oh, I didn't know you were going to start on time. And I'm like, girl, I'm from the, the, the theater world. Yeah. We start everything on time. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I was pretty bad about when I finally, when I was in the power position mm-hmm. to when I was asked by people, will there be late seating for this production? And I could say no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Yeah, I mean, some shows you can't. You can't. But I I feel like also those shows, at least with some of the shows that we were doing with that company with Force Collision that I told you about, we weren't in in more traditionalist proscenium houses where you can come through the back of the audience. We were doing black box things or some type of environmental or immersive staging that like, if you came in, you walked through the The performance. performance. And that's the same kind of theater that um, I love to do in in the kind of shows that I love love to do as well with like pillows on the floor because we ran out of seating and people to sit. Yeah. Until until they start interacting with me, then I start to yeah. draw the line. Like when you start uh-huh. jumping up and down on my head and screaming at me yeah, yeah, yeah. as part of this theater performance, that's when I draw the line. I don't like to I don't like that. No, no, no. You want it up <laughs> close, but you don't want it in your lap. No. no don't bring it to my lap. Oh no, God. Yeah, yeah. I've I oh I remember going to see a play at the Folger Theater, the Folger Shakespeare Theater in DC. Okay. And it was some type of contemporary um contemporary adaptation of i don't know one of the shakespeare plays oh you know what it was the scottish play uh-huh. it was a scottish play and okay. one of those characters came and jumped onto my lap straddled <laughs> me and was like yeah i'm not no 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 oh there is such a thing as consent yeah between you know, actors and also an audience. Yes. Like, you did not ask to come and jump on my... I don't like that. Right. And I actually... That makes me wonder, too, like, for Sleep No More, Uh do they just... Do they make people sign something? Do they ask your permission whether they can interact with you, whether they can touch you? I would imagine that... And this is a great question because my show is done in the nude. And so I don't want anyone in the audience or going near them. But right. I would imagine that it's put in um, the trigger warnings or um, or something about consent is up there that right. maybe. Because I think about Madonna and Janet, how they used to pull people back, you know, back in the day and mm-hmm. literally hump their faces. And I'm like, okay, did you ask yeah. them? Or, <laughs> you know, times have changed, but still. Yeah. Well, I... Are, so you're saying because folks are in the nude in, in your play yeah, um, that they won't be diving into the audience's laps. They won't be in the audience's lap. I mean, I, I mean, obviously it's up to whoever directs, you know, but I didn't write that. I didn't write yeah, them in no, anyone's lap. No. And certainly like audience members should not be touching actors. Yeah on stage unless no. they want their hand removed by exactly. force. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And shout out to the actors that, that risk their bodies to tell yeah. a story. You know, I have a, um, I have a couple of friends. One, one, one recently that's gone into intimacy coaching for mm. theater. Did you know that they offered that here? In where? Intimacy directing in Colorado. 
There's a school that offers it here? I, I, apparently. my oh. Some folks from my old drama school came out here. Yeah. Movement coach, specifically, movement professor, came out here to learn about intimacy directing. I wonder where that is. I want to know, too. Where is that? Right. Because I know someone I know, Denise, mm -hmm. um, Davia Johnson, I believe does it for film and television. I think they they. They did it for the slave play. Okay. For Jeremy O'Harris's The Slave Play. Uh, oh. They were one of the intimacy people on it. Oh. I just remember that because I remember seeing that post. Yeah. So yeah. they do do it for theater too. Okay. It's Jeremy O'Harris, right? I have no idea. I'm going to check. I'm acting like a reaper and I need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That was the best versus. Patty and Gladys. Oh, shit. Yeah, Fuck, yeah, yeah. Aretha wasn't in it. No, but they shouted out Aretha. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, these things that have started during the pandemic that have just taken off, like, <laughs> these ideas. I mean, if you... Shit. If we had some of the sort of, like, ideas that we've been having during the pandemic, could you imagine? The pandemic has really forced people to kind of be crafty and creative. Absolutely. When, you know, we could have been, you know, this creative, but I guess we just haven't been in a situation where we've been backed into a corner and had, a, had mm -hmm. to, like, figure out things pretty quickly. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that um, it's the, the pandemic really forced people, including myself, to reproduce not only quickly, but very creatively. Yeah. The time we thought we needed to do something is not necessarily as true. What's one thing that you're hopeful for in 2021? Um, personally or professionally? Both. Both. Personally, uh, I'm looking forward to getting the hell out of Colorado and moving <laughs> on with my <laughs> life and uh, actually finding community that makes me feel wanted. Mm. And, and not only just the art, but also just regular everyday life. I don't feel wanted here. Um, professionally, I'm looking forward to just reconnecting um, mm. and really um, creating and bre breaking boundaries. But finally, one of the things that is happening on my end as a young professional that I'm just like, finally, is that people are actually starting to pay me my worth. Mm. and uh, treat me with a little bit more respect. And I'm really appreciating that. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to fight for that a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have to do another um, video project. We do. I like, have time now. I think that you should you should creatively drive it. And then I'm just sort of there <laughs> to like hone my video yes. skills. Yes. Yeah. By the way... <laughs> So since I mentioned it, we did this video project together and I still want to like formally apologize for the fact that I did not know when we were shooting this on top of a mountain that you had some fears and trepidation around heights. I hate heights. And we I hiked had, up that mountain. I had no idea. Yes. And I and I just first I stupidly assumed that you knew that we were gonna go to <laughs> no, no, did not. Okay. Did that high mountain. But listen, I'm I'm willing to do anything for art. <laughs> yeah, so I did it. I was just like really tight because I was afraid. I don't look tight in the video though. No. It looks great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, so. thank you so much for doing this. This has been great. Thank you for having me. Do you have any questions, feedback, or want to share a story about reconnecting? You can drop me an email at I miss you podcast at gmail.com. 
Find and follow the show on Instagram at I Miss You Podcast. I Miss You is hosted, edited, and produced by me, with lots of help from the universe. This episode was recorded at House of Pod in Denver, Colorado. Our podcast graphic was designed by Ian Slarsky. New episodes are released weekly on Wednesdays. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, and show some love with lots of stars. It really helps. If you would like to support I Miss You, as well as get additional content and access to our members-only Facebook group, where you can connect and share with other listeners, consider subscribing to Patreon. You can find a link to Patreon in our Instagram bio, or at our website at imissyoupodcast.com. And finally, reach out, connect, and spread the love by telling all of your friends about our show. Till next time, new friend. <laughs>